Pastor Todd Smith just came out with this book. Have you read it, Unless We Pray? Yes. As is in this book and as we've heard in sermons, God's house isn't a house of sermons. It's a house of prayer. <laughs> and if people don't, you know, the the the... The salvation of Israel, the salvation of the church has always been in prayer. Whenever things fall apart, it's back to prayer. The, mm-hmm. the, the way you re-energize and fuel and fix and get God's mercy and his grace to fall is through prayer. So why wait till it goes wrong? Well, some people, I think, don't know how to pray, so we're going to talk about a little bit about how to pray. But when you, you became a believer, you were young. Were you a teenager? I was, uh, yeah, I was 17 when I got saved. And how did you learn how to pray? By example, I saw people just, the DNA of the people around me was constantly to pray about everything, anytime. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd be standing after church was over, and the the mood in the in the exit area, the, the vestibule of the church, just would get so light and jokey and not very spiritual, mm-hmm. and the elder or pastor would just call the whole group to prayer. Right in the middle of it, and it was just the the example. It wasn't. It wasn't like I learned a procedure, or I learned a time, or a place, or what words to say. I just sort of absorbed it from the people around me because mm-hmm. they were very much praying people. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I mean, I knew to pray as far as I would just talk to God, like I'm talking to you growing up, but. When my prayer life changed, it's when a couple of the old war horses yeah. would go meet every Tuesday night at one of their houses, and I, I don't know if I got an invite or invited myself, but I started going in, and I would sit at their feet while they touched heaven. And they were, um, I mean, they would just allow Holy Spirit to flow through them, praying for family, praying through situations, and I've got a weird story whether it's related or not, I think so, but you can be the judge of it. Um, the night before 911 happened, I was with these two prayer women, and we were just praying fervently when suddenly, in the spirit, one of them began this urgency. And have you ever heard somebody pray where suddenly you're like, oh my gosh, this is urgent this is an emergency yeah they're touching heaven but something's going on in the spirit yeah and it was this she was making this high-pitched sound with her prayer language and the other lady and i just got really quiet we're like something is eerily urgent Mm -hmm. so um after we finished praying she's weeping we joined as best we could in with her and after we finished, she was like, I don't know what's going on, but in my spirit, all I could hear yelling was mayday, mayday, mayday. Wow. When that plane that they wanted, I don't know what they were going to ram it into, but when the, um, on 9-11, when the actual people on the plane took it over, I mean, they ended up crashing it. When that happened, I was immediately reminded of that mayday, mayday, mayday. Now, could God have prevented that? He absolutely could have, but there's no telling what God already prevented that we're not aware about. So, and then I remember when I first started praying in the Spirit, um, I woke up in the middle of the night with just this desire to pray. And uh, it's easy to pray when it's like times like these. You know, there are times you have to press in and pray, but I'm praying and I'm praying in the spirit, and suddenly I know that I am praying for a family member. Oh, wow. And I knew that it was a life and death situation. And the next day, I, call, I, I pray until the peace comes. Yeah. And so I called them and I was like, what's going on? And that night, I think they had 
gotten into some drinking, was in a vehicle, and they were a hairbreadth away from being killed and but didn't and I was like okay I'm when I get that urgency to pray I'm going to hit it and not miss that at all I was um very young and I was taking somebody to work and I borrowed somebody else's car to do it and the person whose car had been loaned to me was asleep and after I drove away from the curb to take this person to work They got woke up by God right out of a dead sleep, and they fell on their face and began to pray. And on the way to work, I was in a lane, and I went to pass a car, and I was blinded by the sun. And at the last second, the sun went behind a street sign, and for a split second, I saw I was head on for another car and moved over. Wow. Let me tell you another one. My mom and dad are uh, missionaries in Honduras, Mm -hmm. and there is this old... Um, or this elderly gentleman. And the reason I say that is when I was a little girl, he was elderly then. And so, you know, I'm not a little girl anymore. And he's still, he is just a powerful man in the Word and in prayer. So he's in his prayer time about 3 o'clock, and um, suddenly he begins to intercede for my parents in Honduras. Wow. So he calls them, and he was like, I want you to know I'm praying for you right now. God's in control and praying for you right now. What he doesn't know is they are on the mountain and there has there is starting to be like a mudslide. And my dad is coming off this mountain and loses control of the truck. And if you've been to Honduras, there's no room for error on the side of those mountains. No, a lot of those roads are one lane and they're dirt. Yeah. And so he ended up getting the two tires in a rut, rode that mountain uh, road down in the ruts without any brakes. I forgot to say that. Wow. Without any brakes. And uh, I think that's what the story is. Well, anyway, so he gets home, and this this man of God is like, I'm praying for you. And they looked, and it was the same time. They're sliding down the mountain. And then another time, uh, <laughs> I mean, he's done this several times, but I remember they needed something. They needed like $500. Yeah. And Dad said, we're going to have to get this. I don't know if it's a part for the vehicle. I don't remember what it was, or somebody was in need. And mom was like, we do not have the money. I go to the mailbox, and that man of God from Ohio, his name is Roger Bourne, Mm -hmm. there's a $500 check in there that day, Yeah, the day that they needed it. And that's happened over and over again. It's amazing. Well, praying Christians, these are not unusual stories. No. When when you tell the story to a Christian who prays, somebody's watching this uh, this stream and will be at their house going, oh yeah, that happened to me. And and you get in a group of Christians and start talking this stuff. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got one or two or three or twenty stories mm-hmm. like this. Um, as you were talking, I had twenty of them pop to mind different times in my life when I was praying and God just moved instantly. Yeah. And one of the things that is the most powerful about prayer, as you said, until the peace comes. Yeah, I was caught between a rock and a hard spot. Somebody I loved and had known my whole life as a Christian got up in the pulpit and said something that I had no way logically to resolve his words except that he just lied to everybody. Now, I'm stuck. If I challenge him and I'm wrong, now I've damaged my relationship with this man of God. If I don't say anything, I have to live with the fact that I always will think this guy lied and his his no. heart, his damage to me, hmm. and I can't deal with either one. So I went home Sunday afternoon, and I shut down. I work from home, so I turned off all my computers, and I turned off my, everything but my cell phone for emergencies, and I started praying on Sunday night. 
And I prayed off and on all that night. I prayed all through the next day. I fasted. I wouldn't move until God answered. I said, I refuse to accept this. I don't know what happened. I don't know what's going on, but I'm not letting go of this person. It's just too important yeah. to me. And all of a sudden, I got an offhand call from somebody that I knew who was in the church who was talking about, I've got a problem with my computer, and can you help me? And blah, 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 blah. And then just without even knowing what they were saying, they said, you remember when Pastor said that during service? And I was thinking, oh, here it comes. And she goes, did you know? And she told me the one piece of information I was missing that made it all make sense. Oh, he, wow. He, he was neither a liar nor had he done anything wrong. I didn't have to live with it, and I didn't have to damage my relationship to straighten it out. God just told a little birdie to call me and say just the right thing, not even knowing they were saying it, and it resolved it. But I'm confident if I hadn't gone to fasting and prayer, and it didn't, you know what? He didn't do anything wrong. Nobody did anything wrong. Mm -hmm. There was no crisis Mm -hmm. anywhere but in my heart. (laughs) But I still had to resolve it. And so many times we get these situations, instead of taking them to prayer, we start blabbing to everybody, and we start just doing damage everywhere. and, And, you know, so many things could be fixed if we just took it and said, I'm not moving until God answers. And if prayer does work, then why aren't we doing that? I, I've been mentoring this woman who has had a tumultuous marriage. Yeah. And um, we I kept hearing the word nag. You hate to say that because that does not have any positive connotations with it. And she said, you know, uh, I, that resonates with me. I can't seem to help it. I just pop off and can't seem to help it. And I was like, well, you're a woman of faith, so you've got to take it in prayer. And she's like, I can't hardly... You know, I can't hardly do that. So you you have to be in control of your flesh. If you nagging one hundred percent of the time never works. It only no. makes people mad and bitter, whether it's a man nagging a woman, a woman nagging a you know, a congregation nagging a pastor. Nagging is yep. not of God, it's complaining and God yep. doesn't like complaining. Well the thing that makes a nag a nagging is there's no solution in it. There's mm. just a constant pointing out the problem. It's just like pummeling somebody verbally in the corner with your fists. You're just doing it with your tongue. And you're not offering any solution. You're just mm-hmm. constantly pointing out the problem. Mm-hmm. It never helps. How helpless if you're a child hearing that or you know, if you're a spouse or your church. So what you do is, is you go, I refuse to be a part of the problem. I refuse to behave like this. I'm going to go in prayer. And the main component is you have to trust God. Yes. If you don't trust God, you're not going to want to go in prayer because you're not going to believe he'll handle it. But if you can trust God, go into prayer, and what you do is you just say your heart. The thing that I would say to Rick, you know, if uh, Colton hurt my feelings and I wanted to go say, hey, did you hear what he just said? Instead of g- responding to Colton or telling on him to Rick, I go, God, did you hear what he just said? Give me the proper attitude to respond. Tell me what I need to know, but I give this to you. If we would do that, the divisions would uh, no longer be in families and be in churches and that kind of thing, I believe. Well, I got a visual on this once upon a time. I shared it with some, I shared it with Amber and a few other people. I said, I just imagine a long row of dominoes twisting around like you've seen where they knock down a domino and it just knocks down the next one and the next one. And I said, what God showed me was that if one of those dominoes, if those were people and the knockdown was a problem or something that, you know, he said, if one of those people was steadfast in their heart in prayer and standing in their heart with fortitude to God, inexplicably, the dominoes would go until they got to that one person and then boop. They just, for no reason, that one wouldn't fall. Wow. And no one else would be damaged by those words. And 
after I got that, God gave me that visual because so many times now since I've had that visual, mm-hmm. I've heard something, and God has said, you're the domino, don't fall. <laughs> don't sick. pass that on to anybody. Godly men and women, they take the, they suffer the loss, they suffer the hurt, and they don't pass it on to the next person. They just give it to God. I would like a shirt that says that, I'm the domino. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to fall. That's true. And then you, you pass that stuff on for other people then to have to deal with, like, offenses can be shared. If I, you know, one time we had this evangelist, I've told this before, but, um, and he ended up yelling at me in the service. Yeah, I've had that happen. And um, <laughs> there was a, it was a misunderstanding, but when he did that, I thought, my response is going to dictate Possibly the shutting down of revival. You wouldn't think anybody has that power to do that. But this, an explosion, there's people that love me. People don't like me, but there's the people that love me. And if I showed offense, they would have picked that up, and there would have been some... But a bit major division, mm-hmm. major division. And so I thought, you know what, God, I'm going to give this to you. First of all, does he have the right to say what he said, whether I agree with it or not? Yep. Did he have the authority? Yes, he did. And I am not going to be the one who stops revival for... Maybe not revival as a whole, but I could have stopped revival for those people. Right, and I found out later there were people that cut their eyes at me to watch, and I was like, I'm going to obey what he instructed me to do. I've rarely been damaged by a specific situation. Nine times out of ten, my damage that I did to myself and to others was how I responded to the situation. Mm-hmm. It's rarely been when I should have taken it to prayer, when I should have been silent, when I should have left it on the table, when I should have left it alone. I talked about it. I told other people about it. Yeah. I became offended about it. And it's, mm-hmm. it, was the resp- it wasn't the problem that caused all the damage. It was the response. And if Christians would just remember that don't respond to anything you know, Israel got tripped up so many times because mm-hmm. they reacted without asking or inquiring of the Lord. And uh, I, I only know how to tell you not to do that because I know 999 <laughs> ways not to do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you take this scenario. Let's say that Dennis and I ha- are making some financial decisions, and it involves his pay and my pay and our Social Security numbers, right? So really, that's nobody's business but Dennis, my husband, and me. But if I sit here and instead of going to Dennis, to I, I powwow over here with Rick, and we start talking about the finances, and I'm like, well, do you know how much Dennis makes? And he's like, well, I don't know. I'm like, well, I'm going to have to find out from him. Well, do you know Dennis's Social Security number? Well, that's completely inappropriate conversation because he can't do anything about it. So when you think about idolatry as putting anything before God, taking what belongs to God and giving someone else, giving it to someone else, when we begin to give to God, give what is God's to someone else, like confession, um, if in that scenario where I said Colton offended me, if I take that to Rick, that's none of Rick's. It's the same thing as if I was talking to him something private about me and my husband. What who that belongs to is it belongs to the Lord. Yeah, it does. And oftentimes we get these situations where somebody makes that mistake mm-hmm. and we become aware of it. Mm-hmm. And then we make the same mistake 
because then we turn and tell somebody about what they did wrong. And we literally make the same mistake they made. Talk about the pot calling the kettle black. Lisa talks to me, then I walk away and I go over to somebody else and I go, you're not going to believe what Lisa just tried to talk to me about. You know, it wasn't right. It wouldn't have God. She shouldn't have had that conversation with me. And we're now, I'm literally having the conversation with someone else that shouldn't have even happened. You know, in other words, it's, it's just learning to be quiet before God, learning to just hear something and do nothing with it. And that takes faith. Mm -hmm. That takes having faith that when you give something to God, that something's going to happen, that God is going to deal with it. I had a pastor friend of mine. People would bring things to him all the time, and he would ask one question after they would spill their guts about somebody. They're doing this, or that happened, or this happened, or the other happened. He would often look at them and say, do you believe I'm the pastor here at Called of God? And they would say yes, and he would go, okay. Then do you trust me with this situation that you promised me you won't do anything but pray about it and you won't touch it and trust me to deal with it? And he's asking them to have faith mm -hmm. in the fivefold ministry and in the structure of the church and the pastor and the leadership and trust him to deal with it. And if they say yes, he's, then they know when they walk out of his office, mm -hmm. if you take this anywhere else but God, you're going to be in the wrong. Mm -hmm. And that was always so wise to me because that headed off so many forest fires mm -hmm. because people had just made a vow, just a commitment to God that I will trust the leadership, I will trust the pastor, I will trust the fivefold ministry, I will trust this community of believers. I don't have to do anything about this. People that run off at the mouth are not people of prayer. And I want to tell you why, is because when you go and tell it, there's a release. Mm -hmm. That release is intended to be toward God. So even like if I'm sharing gossip, it I don't know if there's dopamine hits or what it is, but when I'm sharing it, there's a release, and then you go release, and the next person goes and release. That release was always intended to be vertical. It's when we don't get our righteousness and our identity from God. Ooh. We get our righteousness from being better than other people. I'm better than you. I'm not as good as you, but I'm better than you. <laughs> And we establish ourselves Our pecking order. in a pecking order <laughs> in ministry, and we're, we're, we're deriving our righteousness externally, our, our sense of, of, of sanctimoniousness or whatever. We're, we're deriving it from an external source instead mm -hmm. of going to the Lord and deriving our identity and, and that from God. I wanted to call Amber last night and say, did you notice this specific thing? And I got to thinking about it. Because we don't often think about our motives behind what we're doing, and I'm trying to learn to do that. And I thought, why do I want to – my first thought, my flesh thought was like, oh, I just want to check to see if my discernment is <laughs> – Yeah, yeah. And it was not. You know what I wanted? I wanted proof that I was right. And it was going to give my pride a little measure of a mm, – if I could prove that I was right, it didn't have anything to do with checking – the gifts of the Spirit. And I was like, that, Lisa, is worse than the sin that you're trying to be critical about. So I had to shut my mouth. And the, the problem is, uh, it's, it's not easy to do. You know, I still, even when I decided I wasn't going to do it, a couple of times I wanted to pick up the phone and do that anyway. And I had to say no. So not only did I have to go to the Lord and confess, say, God, I'm seeing this. I don't know if this is right, but show me how to pray about it. I had to repent for having a rotten heart concerning that issue. Well, I was with a friend of mine, and we were just spending time together uh, after service, 
as many Christians are wont to do over coffee or whatever. Mm -hmm. And he told me a story from 30 years previous about one of the pastor's family members, and he told me a horrific story about their life and their indiscretions and something they had done. Oh, man, that's the worst. It is water under the bridge. It's Mm -hmm. 30 years old. These Mm -hmm. people are grown and have families, and Mm -hmm. this has nothing to do with nothing. And and I just was, I loved the person I was sitting with. I mean, I enjoyed their company. They were a friend of mine. And I thought, wow, what what am I going to do with this information? And I looked at him and I said, I, I got to ask you a question. And it's going to be a little uncomfortable. And he said, he kind of backed up and said, okay, what? What did I do or say anywhere in our relationship all the time we've known each other? that made you think I wanted to know that. Because whatever it was, I want to change it. I sincere. I'm not just, this isn't a left-handed way mm-hmm. of just smacking you about it. Mm-hmm. I really don't want to anybody to ever tell me something like that ever again. Yeah. And so I said, well, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have told you. I said, that's not the point. If you pray and you discover that I have said or done something over the years that makes you think I'm open to hear that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. you got to tell me what it is because I don't want to do it anymore. Because now this really cool person that I love as much as I love you will never look the same in my mind ever again because of information that I didn't need to know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I only know that because of how many times I've damaged other people by telling, doing the exact same thing he did yeah. in my past. And so mm-hmm. one day I woke up to the reality of what I was doing and one person told me, said, Rick, you, you do that. And then before I, this situation, many years before, he pulled me aside and he said, Rick, you do that in the name of telling the truth. No more lies. We're going to just tell the truth. He said, but do you ever have somebody in your family die? And I said, yes. And he goes, who was the funeral director? I said, I don't know that I barely remember him. So after the funeral, did you guys get together often? Did you have dinner? Did you go to each other's houses? Did you play cards? Did you hang out? I go, no, he was the funeral director. He said, if you keep thinking it's your job to bring truth to people, you're going to become the funeral director. Nobody is going to want to spend a minute with you. He said, and God never intended you to tell the stuff you tell. And it was so devastating when he told me that. It drove me to my knees for weeks. And I just said, Lord, I got to change how I talk. That's what real correction does. It drives you to prayer. If you are a wise person at all. I I had somebody in my family that has a particular sin in their life. uh, And the sin is lying. And they lie to such a degree we would kind of jest and laugh at it. And I'd met somebody new and we were talking about different things. I said, well, there's somebody in my family, and I may have named them because they wouldn't have known them. And I said, you know, that they, they were a liar. And when I first said that, I felt this check in my spirit, yep, yep. but I didn't know why. And do you know what I was doing? I was getting entertainment out of the darkness and the sin of someone else. The Bible is very clear on what we're supposed to think about, the things that are pure and holy and of a good report. Yeah. But I was getting entertainment. And and uh, I'm still a little sad about that right now that that I had that viewpoint. But not only that, but drawing other people into it. And not everyone has a strong enough character, even if they don't want to hear the mess, to say, I really don't want to talk about that. A lot of people just sit and listen when they're uncomfortable because they don't have the the strength yet or the character to say, you know what? I'm out, or yeah, I'm, I don't want yeah, to talk about this yeah, conversation, yeah. or or they don't have the wisdom to divert it, or yeah. to lay a clue, or whatever. But you know, the Bible says we're going to give account for every idle word, 
And when we speak things that are just without purpose, you wouldn't take a shotgun or a rifle or a gun and just go into your neighborhood and just point it in the sky and just let go a bunch of bullets into the air, not knowing where they're going to arc to earth. Mm -hmm. And when we speak randomly about things thinking, oh, we're just joking. It does. It's no harm. It doesn't hurt anything. We're just shooting bullets in the air. And we don't know. I've so many times said something that I thought was funny and a joke. And, Mm -hmm. and uh, all of a sudden somebody would just look at me just deadpan and I would realize, uh oh, one of those bullets just landed. And I went, oh, I spent a year every time I talked to a colleague apologizing to her because I really took a shot at her church and didn't know it by just making a joke. Oh. And uh, But the point being is that words that are, don't have a purpose are still fired from the gun. And yeah. where they hit. So what we want to do is take our words and fire those to heaven where he can actually do something about it. Yes. I'm going to end this Pastor Connect with reading you an excerpt that turned my heart to just wanting to pray and this oh I also have a couple of other books The Power of a Praying Woman I've got I didn't bring it The Power of a Praying Wife uh, where Stormy O. Martin will teach you how to pray the word the scripture so there's talking to God where you just tell him what you're thinking but you can pray the scripture but let me let, let me read this to you if I can see it and this is actually in chapter 1 of of unless we pray by Todd Smith now, Jim Elliott was a missionary that uh, actually died in the mission field. Somebody asked his wife, how do you deal with Jim's death, the fact that he was brutally killed with a spear that day in the jungle? Where, where he died, the way he died, how do you handle that? And his widow answered like this, My Jim didn't die in the jungle that day. My Jim died one night in high school while he knelt by his bed in agonizing, travailing prayer. When he prayed this prayer, Lord Jesus, if you did all that you did for me, that is written in that blessed holy book, then there is nothing I can do for you that will ever repay the debt I owe. So I commit myself here and now to go and do whatever you want me to do. I am yours. Do with me as you please. Then Elizabeth paused and said, that's when my Jim died. And if the power of prayer is powerful enough to save your soul, to cause your sins to flee, to pull in miracles. We need to be harnessing the power of communing with our Father and taking everything to Him in prayer. Glory to God. Amen.